everybody welcome back to another edition of the untitled jeff gluck podcast i'm your host jeff gluck and i'm here today for a 12 questions version of the podcast with the mayor of hinchtown james hinchcliffe very happy that uh hinch and his pr team decided to accept my request indy 500 week to talk about the 12 questions actually his second 12 questions interview i believe we did another one in 2012 so he's actually, I think, the only IndyCar driver I've ever done the 12 questions with, but he did such a good job the first time. I decided to uh, give another try, and uh, I hope you'll enjoy what he had to say. So I'm here with James Hinchcliffe, and uh, the first question, James, is how much of your success is based on your natural ability, and how much has come from working at it? I would say 50-50. I'm, uh, I'm definitely not one of those, like, insanely naturally talented people let's put it this way my first go-kart race was horrendous like i you didn't put me in a go-kart and i just was like instantly fast i had to work at it i had to figure out how to be fast i think everybody if you're at this level you have a certain degree of natural talent sure but uh but no doubt i had to work pretty hard to uh to kind of figure out how to do this well what what happened in the first go-kart race I mean, I was, I was, I got lapped, like, I think on the third lap of the race, and it was pretty horrendous. I think by my fourth go-kart race, when I was still being lapped, uh, my dad was like, if this isn't fun for you anymore, we can stop. I'm like, no, no, I'm determined to figure out how to go quickly here. Okay. So, um, what, what would be your pitch for people to become fans of yours? The, the NASCAR version of this question is there's a bunch of dudes retiring, you know, how do you get those fans? But just in general, what, what's your pitch for people to become your fan? Oh, man. Uh... I guess, you know, like attracts like. I'm a fan of the sport. You know, I've been on the other side of the fence. I've been the kid with a Sharpie and a hero card. And, you know, I, I try and relate to fans like that as a fan because even though I'm on the other side of the fence now, I'm still a, I'm still a diehard fan of racing. And uh, I try and, you know, exude that and show that to my fans and show them the appreciation that we have for them and supporting us. What is the hardest part of your job away from the racetrack? Part of the travel, just like the amount of time that you're away from home, uh, away from family, amount of time you spend in airports and hotels and rental cars and lines on buses going to rental car, you know, centers. It's uh, it's one of those things. People think travel is very glamorous and it can be sometimes, but um, that's that's probably the, the, the biggest drain on you and probably one of the hardest parts. Do do most of the drivers not have jets in IndyCar? No, we're not quite rocking on the jet level. There's a there's a couple floating around out there, but that's not a that's not a typical way of travel for an IndyCar driver. Okay, that's that's very different. Uh, what I've I've been uh, used to. Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, so let's say a fan spots you eating dinner um, in a nice restaurant. Should they come over and ask for an autograph or no? Uh, yeah, for sure. You know, as long as as long as they are polite about it. I think manners are important no matter what the scenario is, but. Um, I understand and accept that part of my job is, you know, being a quote unquote public figure. And that's, that's one of the, you know, that's one of the sides of it is people are going to recognize you. And like I said, I like connecting with fans. So if they see me at a restaurant and they want a picture, sure, just come up and ask. All right. What's a story in IndyCar that doesn't get enough coverage? Story in IndyCar that doesn't get enough coverage. I don't know. I mean, I feel like with the, uh, you know, the emergence of social media, even the smallest stories get uh, get broadcast out there one way or another. But I don't think I don't think we talk enough about how Scott Dixon's the greatest 
IndyCar driver alive and maybe of all time when it all comes down to it. No one's going to talk about it yet because he's still driving and there's still guys like, you know, Mario and AJ Walker on the paddock. And so no one's going to say that when they're still around, but 20, 30 years from now, hopefully AJ and Mario are still around, but if they're not, you know, uh, when Scott's retired, hopefully he's retired by then, but that guy could probably race until he's like 70 and still win. I think you're going to see a lot of guys start talking about him in that, in that, in that way, because guys like Mario and guys like Michael will, you know, tell you that back in their day, it was different because the disparity between the good teams and the bad teams was much bigger. You know, you had to have the right chassis, you had to have the right engine, the right tires, and you were racing against four or five other really good guys. Now we have 15 guys that can win races in a given weekend from any team. And to be as consistently dominant and upfront as a guy like Scott has uh, for the last, you know, 15 years, I think it's a pretty remarkable feat. And I think even, you know, guys like Mario would, uh, would appreciate that. Very interesting. Who was the last driver you texted? Maybe Connor. Uh, Alex Rossi. He was the last driver I texted. Okay. Do you, are you a frequent texter with other drivers? Yes. Yeah, actually, I was texting also uh, Scott Dixon and, and Tony Kanaan this morning. Texted Connor last night. Uh, Charlie Kimball, we chat a lot. Yeah, talked to a lot of drivers. Okay. Uh, do you consider race car drivers to be entertainers? I think all sportsmen in, in a certain vein are entertainers. Um, you know, obviously in the racing world, they'd really try and bring up the rivalries and, and the reason they do that is because it's entertaining to fans. Um, but, but sports is entertainment. So yeah, I think if you're a pro athlete in, in some degree, uh, you are an entertainer. James, what is your middle finger policy on the racetrack? In the heat of the moment, man, anything goes. That's, <laughs> I would be super hypocritical to sit here and say that it's inappropriate to use your middle finger on track. So uh, is it is that evolved over the years, or has your, has your policy remained uh, consistent, I guess? I think it's been pretty consistent. I've, uh, I've probably definitely very unfortunately uh, fallen into a pattern of maybe using it more than I used to, and I don't know why that is. It's probably not the best thing. Uh, and I did get, I got yelled at last year. I used it in a race and Max Pappas pulled me aside to scold me for it. And he was like, you know, fist is fine. Or like the Italian kind of whatever shape that is, is fine. Or like number one finger is fine. Just not that one. And then, you know, the next time I stuck my hand out of the cockpit, it was one finger, but it wasn't the one he wanted me to use. So, um, so some drivers keep a payback list in their minds. Uh, if somebody's done them wrong on the track, do you also have a payback list if somebody's cut you a break or done you a favor on the track? Definitely, yeah, I think so. Um, the, the the big thing is when you find yourself in a situation where, and it, you know, it's it's unfortunate, but it happens in racing where your race hasn't gone well, your laps down, um, taking care of the guys that are running for the race win and just running for positions, not trying to be the guy that's three laps down racing you just as hard as if you were going for it. You know that that goes a long way, and there are definitely you know some drivers that have the experience to know that, look, this, this does me no good. It hurts you and ultimately makes you mad at me kind of thing. Um, and some guys just don't get that. So when someone does, you know, does you a favor and when they're in a position that's, you know, they can't really improve and they can help you out or at least knock it in your way, you definitely make a point to go to them after the race and be like, thanks buddy. I owe you one. Okay. Makes sense. Who is the most famous person you've had dinner with? Lady Gaga. Holy crap. That's pretty big. What was that like? It was, it was awesome. She, that was actually after the 500 last year. We went and had dinner with her at uh, St. Elmo's here in Indy. And, uh, yeah, she's just a 
super cool girl was asking a lot of questions about racing like was really interested and fascinated by the whole thing she'd been in the two-seated with mario and done the whole deal so yeah very uh very cool very cool dinner time chat that's awesome what is something about yourself you'd like to improve oh man i mean you can always improve as a driver you know there's uh this is one of those sports and i think i think a lot of athletes would say the same thing you never stop learning you know in such a competitive environment there's always something you can do better and there you know there are four or five different aspects of my game that i would i would spend and i do spend a lot of time on trying to improve and um, i don't think that'll ever stop so for each interview i ask a driver to give me a question for the next one and the last interview i did was with jamie mcmurray and his question was obviously alonzo's come here and sucked up a lot of the attention so far uh, what do you make of all that, and how do you think he's done so far? I mean, I certainly understand it. Um, the The fact that we've got a guy that is, you know, in the conversation for greatest living racing driver, um, giving up their crown jewel event, and in his very unique set of circumstances, the best chance he has at a good result all year to come here and do the Indy 500. He's not a guy that grew up in North America. He's not a guy that grew up dreaming to race an Indy car, but still the Indy 500 has that much allure and uh, is that important to, to racing drivers all over the world. Uh, so I certainly understand why there's a lot of attention around it. And, uh, you know, we, we fully support him being here. It, it benefits us as much as anything else. And, um, and so it, it's great in that sense. How's he doing? Annoyingly well. Uh, <laughs> You know, this is a very, very different thing to what he does on a on a weekly basis, and yeah, unlike anything he's ever done, and you know, he's put himself in some situations in practice that would would frighten some more timid racing drivers. But you can tell this guy's the real deal. I mean, he got in those situations and dealt with it, got up to speed very quickly, got comfortable very quickly in traffic, which is the hardest part, you know. And uh, he put himself on one of the best teams. I think since the new car came out in 12, statistically the best team here at the Speedway. And um, he put himself in a really good position to do very well on Sunday. So it'll be interesting to see. And I'm not exactly sure who the next interview is going to be with, but it will be um, some NASCAR driver. Do you have a question I might be able to ask them? All right. So that was a good question from Jamie. I like that. I like that one. I was expecting more like, a, are you a boxers or briefs kind of guy or some goofy, you know, but... As we're going a little bit deeper and insightful in that sense, um, talking about great racing drivers, you've got Jimmy Johnson, who is going to try and break the record for a number of championships. Um, a, it's a two-part question. A, do you think Jimmy will get? Well, do you think he'll get the record? And B, how many do you think? Is it just one more? Is it how many championships do you think Jimmy Johnson will retire with when he finally decides to hang up the helmet? Very good question. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. So there you have it, everybody. And I uh, hope you enjoyed what he had to say on the 12 questions this week. And thanks again to him for doing that. So I'm currently in the Portland, Oregon airport, and I'm getting ready to fly to Chicago, where I'm then going to drive to Indy, drop my wife Sarah off, and then drive to Dover for the Dover race this weekend. Um, tomorrow on the podcast, I have Joseph Newgarden of Penske Racing talking about the social spotlight and all things social media. So that's another fun one and interesting one as well. Then, of course, I'll be at Dover. Um, I will drive back to uh, Charlotte where I'm going to pack up and move, uh, start driving back out here to where I am right now, Portland, Oregon. Uh, where we're relocating for Sarah's job. So I will be missing the next two races after Dover, but hoping to get a bunch of interviews uh, this weekend at the track 
to um, spread out over the next few weeks. So that's what's up with me. Thanks again for listening. And uh, as always, appreciate you um, tuning in to the Untitled Jeff Gluck podcast. Talk to you later, everybody.